sometimes you just feel tired, feel weak. And when you feel weak, you feel like you wanna just give up. But you gotta search within you. Try to find that inner strength and just pull that shit out of you. And get that motivation to not give up and not be a quitter. MVP. I'm Holden Kushner with 4for4.com's director of DFS, TJ Josh Allen Hernandez. <laughs> Hello, TJ Josh Allen Hernandez. How are you? The What's Bills going on, are man? putting you in sleds with Josh Allen throwing snowballs. Actually, that wasn't it. It was actually Josh Allen in a sled. Did you see that? <laughs> no, I didn't. What, did they put a, a Christmas, Christmas meme out or something? Yeah, and maybe something with Elf when <laughs> nice. uh, Will Ferrell was throwing a sidearm oh, snowball. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's That's the music, by the way? What's, what's, what's going on here? Yeah, before we get too many Josh Allen tangents, uh, <laughs> we had Eminem bring us in today, Till I Collapse, featuring Nate Dogg from The Eminem Show, his 2002, his third album. And, of course, you can find that on the DFS MVP Spotify playlist. Go to Spotify, search DFS MVP, or check out my Twitter. I'm always tweeting the link to the playlist along with the podcast. Week 16 value plays. We're going to talk about the Saturday only slate mm-hmm. too. But do you like the movie Elf? Do you find yeah, it to be? A, it I is do. a good movie, huh? Yes, I do enjoy it. It's not. It's one. not. It's not quite bad Santa, no, and it's not well. quite Christmas Vacation. So bad it's Santa. yeah. Oh, bad Santa's so good. <laughs> just, just just watching it the first time, I just remember just being taken aback, like, oh, this is exactly how raunchy comedy should be. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I I think Elf's okay. I Maybe I didn't get it as much. It's not my favorite Will Ferrell movie. For sure. Maybe I just don't have the Christmas spirit. <laughs> Sign That's up what? right now. I, actually, I do. I'm so excited. Uh, the DFS sub dropped to $24, just yep. so you know. You know what yeah, I got was, today? What'd you get? A four for four hoodie. Nice. In the jo- mail. Josh, uh, Santa, Santa Josh sent out the swag to all the staff this week. So that's always a nice time of year. I wanted to give him a shout out for that. Thank you very much. I always love my four for four gear. My t-shirt already has a hole in it. My hoodie shrunk. It's been washed and dried so many times. Um, the hats are, I don't think I have a hat, but the hoodies yeah. are amazing. And I got another hoodie. And we got our tracksuit, which I actually wore uh, last week during the semifinals in redraft because uh, I needed some good luck, and that worked out too. Yeah, we were a little light on, on swag this year uh, with the whole uh, pandemic. We didn't mm-hmm. put in a, a big order, so that's why we weren't giving away a bunch on the uh, – on the pod, but maybe I could, maybe I could pull a couple strings and see if we, if our inventory that we uh, emptied out at the end of the year has anything left over. Maybe we'll do a end of year swag giveaway. Like an end of year swag giveaway. Cause you're diehard DFS MVP listener. And yeah, let me, let me, uh, let, let's see what I could do for that, for the final regular season episode okay. next week. Oh, I like it. But first we get into our week 16 plays. Did you play Hertz and cash last week? Uh, of course I did. I had my best cash week of the year. It was so fun. I swapped. Um, well, I had Hertz, but I swapped out to Pollard late. Also, my sense is you did too. If you had a really good week. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. That that actually, I really, I'm I'm actually really glad you brought that up because I completely forgot about that. I wrote about Pollard in this week's TJ's take because I really overshot his ownership. Um, I had to adjust last minute. Uh, he was only he was in less than fifteen percent of 
large field tournament lineups. Um, he was only in like 30% of cash game lineups. Might have been, it was under 25% in some of the bigger fields um, in double ups. So I, I basically wrote up about how bad people are at adjusting to news. Um, the last couple of weeks, especially week 17, will probably have a lot of that. So I would encourage everyone to go uh, check out that write up because I mean, it was like crazy how low owned he was. If, if that news came out on Wednesday, he would have been 50% owned. At least. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. What do you think this week, though, if Zeke comes back and they're in a timeshare? Yeah, they're, they're, I don't think we'll be touching either of them, really. I don't like it. It'll be back to the old like 60-40 split or whatever they were doing before. Oh, please, Zeke. Don't come back. Don't come <laughs> back. Just stay away. Anyways, Jalen Hurts, 8,200 Fandle, 7,000 DK at Dallas this week. Um, went a little up in the, in the price department, but you know what? I think he's still really worth it, especially on DK. Yeah, I mean, his, his price is a lot higher than uh, it was last week on both sites. But if we look at him relative to the other quarterbacks on the slate, um, he's still a value. Uh, we have Mahomes, who is priced crazy high this week. The Chiefs, it's actually interesting. The Chiefs have a implied point total that is more than four points uh, above the the second highest implied t- total on the main slate, and that's like that's a humongous gap. Mm-hmm. Usually, it's one or two points, so it makes sense that Mahomes is that much more expensive than all the other quarterbacks. Um, and then, if you compare Jalen Hurts to Lamar, you're getting him for a six hundred dollar discount on FanDuel, a one thousand dollar discount on DraftKings, and then Josh Allen, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Kyler Murray. Um, I guess you can throw Tannehill in there because he's been so efficient lately. None of them are on the main slate. So if we look at the uh, the dual threat or the high upside guys, like I, I think we already have to put Hertz up there uh, and you're getting him the cheapest out of him, Mahomes uh, and Lamar. The This game has an over under of 49 and a half, which again, uh, all of the high scoring games, at least in terms of over under, uh, besides the Chiefs game, are off the main slate, and the Eagles are on the right side of it. They're favored by two and a half, so their projected point total is just under uh, 26. We saw in Jalen Hurts' first start, which we talked about last week, he had that 100-yard rushing game, followed it up with 64 on the ground, and then we were excited about his passing upside last week because it wasn't even that he had that great of a matchup against Arizona. He just didn't have a horrible matchup like he did against New Orleans, and he paid off, uh, obviously, really big in that middling matchup. And Dallas, similar to Arizona, middle of the pack in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterback, but they have two cornerbacks that really struggle, the Cowboys do. Um, They have two cornerbacks that are uh, top 10 in target rate that are bottom 10 in fantasy points per pass attempt allowed. And they've allowed at least 21 and a half Fanduel points to quarterbacks in four of their last six games. And what's really stood out, obviously looking at um, cumulative rushing numbers uh, for defenses against quarterbacks is you're never going to really get a good gauge because it just depends who faces mobile quarterbacks. But Dallas has faced Lamar, and they have faced Kyler this year. Lamar went for 94 on the ground. Kyler went for 74 on the ground. So um, if there's an indication that there's something wrong with them defending mobile quarterbacks, then that should uh, show up here against Hurts, right? <laughs> I want, do you think Sanders is going to be a popular stack with him this week? 
Um, I th- I don't know if people will stack uh, Sanders with Hurts, but w- w- which we'll get to. The running back uh, pool is so thin on the main slate mm-hmm. that I just think Sanders will draw ownership by default. Yeah, I don't know what to think of him this week either. I yeah. love I love the upside always. Baker. Yeah, Mayfield. we're gonna have to we're yeah, gonna have to make some weird decisions. At yeah, we'll talk we'll about it later, that. right? Yeah. I'm yeah. looking forward to that. Baker Mayfield, 7,600 Fandle, 6,100 DK at the Jets. He's going to do it again, isn't he? Yeah, people are going to look at the um, the big spread, I think, and obviously want want some uh, some Nick Chubb in their lineups, which makes sense. But uh, the the Browns have been one of the most efficient passing games in recent weeks. Uh, since week 10, Baker Mayfield is top four in fantasy efficiency. That's fantasy points per pass attempt. That's only looking at fantasy points from passing numbers. Uh, and the Browns have a 28.75 point implied point total. That's the second highest uh, behind the aforementioned Chiefs. The Jets face one of the highest passing rates in Passing rates in neutral game script over the last six weeks. Uh, and a lot of that is because they are a pass funnel. They are last in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. And they rank in the top 10 versus running backs. Uh, now a lot of people might look at Cleveland's pass run splits and say, well, Cleveland has a very high run rate in neutral game script. So what happens? Are, are they going to stick with that? Or are they going to do what most teams have done? and throw against the Jets primarily. Um, Hayden Winks from Roto World put out a really good tweet uh, this week that I retweeted that basically showed that a good rushing defense um, typically uh, pushes an offense to pass more than a bad pass defense might. So a team's going to be more inclined to throw when they don't have the ability to run than change their their game plan just because the secondary is bad. So um, go to my Twitter and look for that uh, retweet from Hayden. It's a it's a pretty cool data point, and it really applies to this spot. I think the Browns will be throwing a lot more than usual this week. Hmm. You don't think Chubb and Hunt can run over them, huh? Oh, they definitely can. I mean, the they're, uh, anytime you have a offense that can move the ball very efficiently through the air that's only going to increase the upside of your running backs because chubb and hunt they're just going to have that many more red zone opportunities um and obviously touchdown variance is um it's variance it's it's one of the most high variant uh things in terms of of weekly prediction so i mean baker mayfield could throw it up and down the field and then chubb and hunt get the rushing touchdowns at the end of the drive like there's not really a a strong way to predict that and then if that happens and i I don't know the first two touchdowns come from the backfield all of a sudden they are in a game script where they're just dominating so absolutely i mean i i think it can definitely go their way um but Mayfield is priced down and we're just always chasing the efficiency for our quarterbacks and, and everything screams efficiency from both Baker and for everything that's happened against the Jets in recent weeks. Mm. Then we move on to the running back side. So there's some pretty big names off this list, TJ. All the big names. All of them. Henry, <laughs> Kamara, Dalvin. My goodness, Aaron Jones. Is Aaron Jones even a big one anymore? I don't My know if he's a God. big one, but I think he just grabs a lot of attention because the, the Packers always have a really high total. So people are, he's just kind of always in that, like, should he be popular conversation? But I mean, no Dalvin, 
no Alvin, no Derrick Henry chasing 2,000 yards on the main slate really makes things. Um, I tweeted out, I think it makes it a really fun slate, and then we don't have Devontae Adams either. Like those, I agree. Those, those, those weeks where so much pivots on just if you decided to jam or not like sure it's a decision like everything is a decision and, and we think we can make decisions better than the next guy but um i just think these are super interesting where there are a lot of different ways you can go with lineup builds not just like are you gonna go stars and scrubs uh, i just think it makes for a super unique week i like that man i like that a lot and then of course we're waiting on ezekiel elliott mm-hmm. i mean more than anything if zeke is out Pollard is a is how how big of a play is Pollard and if Zeke is in do you even bother with Zeke I'm not touching Zeke no matter what no I'm not touching Zeke if Zeke is out is that's the biggest pivot of the week um if Zeke is out Pollard is going to be I would say he's going to be the most the highest owned player of the week even ahead of the guy that we're going to talk about um as our as our top value but uh he's He's, Pollard's still cheap enough where it's going to start leading to some lineup overlap and, and similar builds. But if Zeke plays, uh, there's go there. I don't think there are going to be clear values. And then Antonio Gibson, another guy that we're waiting on. Um, if he ends up active, then it kind of throws a wrench in um, in builds. I, I think just by default, if Gibson is out, J.D. McKissick could end up being a, a really popular paydown play after not just being the pass catcher last week after getting pretty much all of the backfield work. A lot of people thought it would be him and Peyton Barber splitting. So mm-hmm. Gibson's status is very interesting too. Gibson is, is very, and then I know with James Conner, but yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, if, if, I mean, we don't really care if Connor plays, but if he's out, um, then I think all of a sudden we have a, a value situation with snow. So you play Benny Snell, huh? I don't know if I play him, but he'll he'll definitely be played. Um, if if somehow Zeke and Gibson both play and mm-hmm. Connor doesn't, which Connor actually seems the most likely to play right now, then I think Snell might just kind of like be a lot of people's default pay down. I mean, Pittsburgh isn't running the ball well at all, but Snell did look good um, even in like a bad game script for the Steelers. So again, it's just a super thin running back slate. So all three of these injuries are, are really going to uh, have a big impact on how ownership and lineup construction shakes out. And on each other, obviously. All right, let's go to the the guy that nobody even wanted to deal with for the last we, season. We called him a hold your nose play three weeks ago. Well, he was. Mm-hmm. Now he's a, you know, eat garlic and breathe all over everybody play <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic. That's how good it is. Yeah. He's 7,800 sure. on FanDuel. He's 7,700 on DK. He's visiting Jacksonville. I mean, he's like a big, delicious sub. Just wait. Just eat it, man. Eat the chalk right here. Yeah, all of a sudden the Bears are um they're they're the only offense as, as good oh, as God. the Bills and the Chiefs all of a sudden they're they're putting up <laughs> they're so, putting up thirty every uh, game, thirty points in three straights, thirty one point average uh since their bye week with Mitch Trubisky at quarterback. Obviously that's quite a bit of hyperbole there. I mean they've they've had some pretty soft matchups, but they're getting um another soft one this week against Jacksonville. The the Bears are favored by seven and a half against a Jacksonville uh, a defense that ranks uh, pretty much near the bottom in every category against every single position, including bottom three and schedule adjusted points allowed to opposing running backs. Uh, David Montgomery, he is, when he's active, he has the highest 
uh, backfield share in the league. Now, obviously, players like Henry and and Dalvin see more touches on a per-game basis than Montgomery, but he's the only back in the league that sees basically every single one of his team's running back touches when he's healthy. He doesn't uh, share backfield work at all unless you uh, consider a couple uh, Patterson plays um, cutting into his backfield work. But uh, big favorites here. The the Bears are rolling, as, as crazy it is to say. It's Even after a month straight, it still seems weird to say it. Um, but that, that positive game script with the scoring upside just benefits Montgomery against this defense. We've seen uh, in three of the last four weeks, Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, and Derrick Henry, uh, guys we were just talking about, all have at least 20 half PPR points against these Jaguars. And then last week, uh, J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, they combined for 23 half PPR points against the Jaguars. So over the last month, a running, a starting running back's floor has been 20 points against the Jaguars. And Montgomery, I mean, his floor is even higher. He's second to Henry in points per game over the last month. First in PPR, uh, second half PPR. All right. Let's move on to Austin Eckler. You mm-hmm. can get some Eckler love here from TJ Hernandez this week. Let's hear it. 7,000 against uh, on FanDuel, 7,600 on DraftKings, taking on the Denver Broncos. Yeah, usually we try to give you guys two plays that are um, are spaced out in terms of salary, but like we don't really have those options this week the ones that we're waiting on uh we kind of already talked about they're they're the players that we um are waiting for to see if the the starting running backs are injured so we don't have um a lot of difference in in salary in our value plays this week so austin eckler just kind of stands out like we said by default um he's been a little up and down uh since coming back but his usage has been uh for the most part what we've expected he's seen um, not like crazy bell cow work, but at least 62% of the backfield touches in three of his last four games. That includes targets of 16, 9, 9, and 4, the, the, the four coming last week. But uh, three of those four games, at least nine targets. That That's pretty much unmatched except for Alvin Kamara. Kamara's not even doing that right now, and he's not on the slate. Anyway, uh, the Broncos have averaged 21 half PPR points per game allowed to running backs uh, over the last five games. And if we adjust for strength of schedule, the Broncos rank bottom five in schedule adjusted points allowed to the position. So again, um, options are thin. So uh, just kind of, I mean, Eckler is a top three value on both sites on four for four. So, I mean, I hate to say by default, but that's kind of what we're narrowing it down to this week. I remember just a couple of weeks ago, you had like, including targets, 30, 30 targets, 30 his first, touches, his basically. first game back. We all yeah. thought he was going to be uh Dalvin cook every week. And then Anthony Lynn decided to go <laughs> coaching again. Wide receiver. I got to tell you, these mm-hmm. first two guys were going to go over. Oh, it's just beautiful. Love these two guys. Robert Woods, 73 under Fanduel, seven K on DK taking on the Seattle Seahawks and Robert Woods is, I mean, he's the number one dude. He's the number one dude in that offense. Yeah. I mean, going into the season, this is kind of how we thought it was going to shake out because towards the end of 2019, uh, Robert Woods started to separate himself from Cooper cup. The season started and then they have been um, pretty much even for the first eight or nine weeks of the year. And then, uh, since week 10, Robert Woods has just flown past past Cup. Uh, 
of the targets of the Rams targets that's seventh in the league over that span his last five games he's seen at least 25 percent of the team's targets and uh, it's not like he is doing it on a low volume passing attack the Rams in that span they have the seventh highest passing rate in neutral game script and this game probably isn't going to to pop to people in terms of one to stack just because Seattle's been slowing it down a bit but uh, in addition to the Rams' high passing rate, Seattle's faced the eighth highest passing rate in neutral game script over uh, the last six weeks. So I think the Rams should be throwing a lot. Um, they have a lot to prove. A playoff team uh, or that just lost to the Jets. So um, I guess narrative street come out and play well against the Seahawks. Obviously, who knows if that happens? Probably looking past the Jets a lot last week. So um, if you're playing Woods, hopefully they they get right. But uh, regardless of how the final outcome is, I think Woods is going to get the volume. Yeah, that's on Sean McVay. Not yeah, being was, ready to play that, that game. That was crazy. Yeah, it's well, both of those wins. It was that one and then Cincinnati. And you're going, oh boy. And there was somebody like hit a hundred, somebody stupid, foolishly put a hundred dollar bet down that those two would cover. Oh, I saw that. Uh, Tangentially related, the the Sunday million winner on FanDuel played the Jets defense. Yeah, I read your TJ's takes, T-A-E-K. Why is it T-A-E-K? And what am I missing? Oh, just, it's just old uh, old Twitter, old, old Twitter joke. Okay. All right. Well, it's the name of your article, and I respect it anyways. <laughs> so can Russell Gage outscore Calvin Ridley? I What's mean, the, if, they, if they were in a game eight times, could he do it one time out of eight? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, could he do it get, this week? Yeah, for well, sure. I like this guy, and I think he actually could put up a really another nice 20-point game on, on DK. He's getting priced up, though. He's at 5,100 there. 5,800 FanDuel taking on the Chiefs. I mean, at some point in time, the Chiefs, by the way, the Chiefs offense is just going to have to play a complete game at some yeah. point in time. Yeah, I mean. I can't wait. Uh, and, and and stacking against them has been profitable. They've been giving up, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, 300-yard game in, in three of their past five uh, double-digit touchdowns, I think, in six straight games uh, through the air. So, I mean, passing attacks have have – had success against the Chiefs. Obviously, teams are probably going into games just expecting to have to throw. So there, there's probably uh, that probably has a little bit to do with it. Teams are just ramping up their passing attack, knowing it's going to be hard to keep pace with the Chiefs. But um, I mean, to answer your original question, the the reason we we try to save money with our pass catchers is because it is a high variance position. Every single week, Calvin Ridley's median projection is going to be significantly higher than Russell Gage's, no matter how much volume Russell Gage has. But uh, in games like this, I mean, there's so much scoring to go around. And again, kind of going back to our discussion on how high variance uh, touchdowns are and, and projecting touchdowns in a single week. I mean, Ridley can have a hundred 20 yards but if if gage scores all of a sudden he's catching up to him um in terms of scoring maybe outscoring him just with one touchdown if ridley doesn't score himself so the thing i i like about russell gage is that this is going to be one of the highest scoring games of the week the the falcons are big underdogs but it also has the highest over under of the week and the falcons throw at the second highest rate in uh in neutral game script over the last six weeks. Both of these teams rank top 10 in neutral pace, so a paced-up, high-scoring game with uh, offenses that throw a lot. 
um, against defenses that face a lot of throwing. Uh, so you're getting cheap exposure through Russell Gage to that game. Uh, Calvin Ridley and Tyreek Hill both valued as very uh, high-value high wide receivers in our uh, lineup generator. So if they're valued high there, they're probably valued high across the industry. But again, if if neither of them score, they don't go off, and Russell Gage has a very good game. Um, even in cash games, you're you're kind of catching up to the field on people that decided to pay up in those spots. Uh, Russell Gage averaging eight targets per game since their bye, and he saw 10 targets last week. Um, Julio didn't practice on Wednesday. So again, like we talked about last week, uh, Julio, I, I mean, we're not hoping Julio's out for Julio, but if we're playing Russell Gage, that obviously boosts um, his outlook if Julio doesn't play. And then even if Julio does play, um, we've seen him play limited snaps because of his lower body injuries multiple times this year, uh, multiple times throughout his career. So I, I think Gage is probably still in play even if Julio is active. Not as exciting, um, but a good play nonetheless. So Jalen Rager, mm -hmm. the rookie who has been uh, connected with Hertz here. Yeah, I'd like to see them connect on some big ones. Fifty-seven under Fanduel, forty-six hundred dra on DraftKings, and again, it goes back to this uh, Dallas game. Yeah, I I usually don't do this on on the pod. Uh, I usually try to stick to value plays, cash plays, plays that are going to be really reliable. We're giving you guys a pretty limited player pool. Um, if you aren't a four for four sub, so I mean, we we want to give you guys a, a lineup there. players that could help build um, a solid core for your lineups but it's rarely rare that i i get this excited about a potential breakout so i figured i'd switch it up a little bit this week and talk about a guy that is more of like a, a contrarian um tournament play just because i i do think he is really really set up to have a huge game and we don't really have a lot of obvious pay all the way down wide receivers this week so in that spot, like especially on DraftKings where uh, Rager's 4,600, like there really isn't a sub $5,000 guy that's a slam dunk. So I think it is okay to go contrarian um, in those spots, even in cash games. So the things that stood out to me about Rager, we only have a two-game sample size with Jalen Hurts. So uh, there obviously can be a lot of noise in a two-game sample. But at the same time, it's the only data we have. So it's data we have to work with. And in DFS, um, we have to try to extrapolate um, things that are going to happen off relatively small samples. If we wait till we have a big sample or we wait till these things pop, then we already missed the boat. Either their price goes up, their ownership goes up, or both. Uh, Rager, six targets per game uh, in his two games with Hertz. That is just one less per game than Dallas Goddard, who leads the team. Uh, Rager is top 25 in the league in air yards in his two weeks with Hertz throwing the ball. Rager leads the team in expected touchdowns. That's a metric that 4 for 4 has in their air yards app that uses uh, where players are targeted on, on the field to uh, to calculate an expected touchdown number. Dallas is bottom 10 in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to uh, opposing wide receivers. I mentioned earlier, two corners bottom 10 in fantasy points per uh, route run allowed, according to Mike Clay. 
and they have a cornerback that has one of the highest target rates allowed um, in the league on the outside where Jalen Rager will play most, most of his snaps. So in addition to all of those things that look like Hurts really likes Rager and Rager has a lot of upside because he's getting the ball near the goal line or targets near the goal line and deep targets, um, he's in a game that is going to be uh, a potential shootout, maybe not a crazy shootout, but relative to the other games on the slate, 49.5 points is really high. Um, he is leverage off of Hertz and Goddard, who might be the most popular plays at their position. And then if Zeke doesn't play, Pollard might be the most popular play at his position. So we could have three players that are at least top two in ownership at their position, and you can leverage it with Jalen Rager. So um, again, not a, a strategy that we talk a lot uh, about on this podcast. We usually save it for like the AMAs and stuff in terms talking about leverage and tournament plays. But I think Rager has so much breakout potential, has so much weak winning potential that I wanted to specifically bring him up this week because I think a lot of people are going to overlook him. And I didn't want anybody that pays attention to 4 for 4 to miss out on Rager this week. Oh, I missed that. Could you say that again? I didn't want anybody that paid no, attention. I'm messing to with you. I heard what you just said. I'll be playing Jalen Rager now. God, yeah, I TJ. mean, it's it's. Uh, he, I wouldn't be surprised if he's sub five percent. Yeah, um, and again, he's so trust. cheap on DK that I think you can just use him to open things up if some of those running back values don't don't show themselves that we talked about. I'm throwing him in the circle of trust. Mark Andrews at tight end. He's going to lead our tight end discussion here. And he's 7,000 on FanDuel. He's 5,700 on DraftKings, taking on the New York Giants. Yeah, I mean, we could we could lead with Travis Kelsey here every week if we wanted to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you're getting Andrews at a huge discount. Uh, Kelsey's 8,800 on FanDuel, so you're getting uh, Andrews $1,800 more. Kelsey's 8,500 on DraftKings. Shout out to a friend of the show, Adam Levitan, tweeted out, that is a record for tight end pricing on DraftKings. No tight end has ever been priced at 8,500 on DraftKings. So if you are playing Travis Kelsey on DraftKings, you are literally paying the highest salary ceiling possible for a tight end. Because he's a wide receiver one. He is a wide receiver one. He might might win the, the receiving yards title. That's crazy. So is it justified? Absolutely. But we obviously need to find value. Um, if we, aren't talking about paying up for wide receivers uh, this week, then probably not talking about paying all the way up for tight ends. Mark Andrews, five and a half targets per game over the last month. Not crazy high, but he is fourth in air yards because of his really high average depth of target. Um, We didn't mention Lamar here, but Lamar has been top three in fantasy points per pass attempt over the last six weeks. So Baltimore, they have been playing over the last three weeks or so like that 2019 version where Lamar, he he didn't need to throw it 40 times last year to have his passing attack um, be very scary and for his pass catchers in a very concentrated passing attack with Andrews and Marquise Brown put up really big numbers. So Andrews isn't going to see the volume that the Kelsey's, the the Goddard's, the, the Wallers are going to put up, but he can match them in fantasy production because Lamar is so efficient again. Um, Ravens, have a 27.75 point implied point total. That's the third highest on the slate. And they're 10 and a half point favorites. People underrate the value of a team being a favorite for a tight end, but we've mentioned it here a bunch. It, it really does help. And the Giants, uh, their bottom half of the league in schedule adjusted points to tight end. So Mark Andrews could have a really big game this week. 
I like this next guy. It doesn't matter who the QB is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Logan Thomas, 6,000 in FanDuel, 4,900 on DK. For the Washington football team, taking on the Carolina Panthers, who stink against the tight end. <laughs> yeah. If if Haskins is in there, if that actually happens, he's going to throw to Thomas a ton. And if it's Alex Smith, he'll throw a little bit less than a ton. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's either uh, Thomas is going to see a crazy high target share with Haskins or Smith is, we saw the, the uh, we saw Washington's passing rate really spike with Smith playing over Haskins. So it sounds like um, Haskins strip club fiasco is just a fine. Um, he practiced today. This is Wednesday night. So oh, he's no longer a captain. Yeah. I mean, I whatever. could not believe he was a captain. I don't think we get uh, points per captain on DraftKings. <laughs> it showed out you do. <laughs> yeah. So as, as long That's as he's amazing. playing. I didn't uh, know he was a captain. I, yeah, I didn't know. Maybe they... every, maybe every quarterback is just a captain by default and you can only, you can only lose it. Wow. I don't know. I don't know how captains work. Um, after seeing 15 targets from Haskins last week, Logan Thomas's splits with Haskins uh, versus Smith are pretty notable. Uh, Haskins has seen 8.3 targets per game. I'm sorry. Thomas has seen 8.3 targets per game with Haskins compared to 5.3 um, with Smith. But the offense was a little bit more efficient with Smith there. Um, either way, Thomas should be able to get his again. You mentioned Carolina. They rank 29th and schedule adjusted fantasy points um, allowed to uh, opposing tight ends. Um, and again, if Smith plays, then uh, the passing volume for the entire offense just goes up a little bit more. Let's do some defenses here, buddy. Defense. The Houston Texans. You talk about holding your nose. I <laughs> know. Against Ryan Finley, who is basically Jalen Hurts light. Just all he does is <laughs> yeah. run. He's 4,600. They're 4,600 on FanDuel. 2,800 on DraftKings, TJ. Yeah, on on FanDuel, we have, well, on the week, we have five teams favored by over a touchdown, the Texans being one of them. On FanDuel, um, all of those teams are kind of bunched up together, priced $4,600 or higher, except for the Chiefs. I think they're down at 4,100. Um, but then on DraftKings, Houston is priced down. They're, they're um, only at 2,800. So, um, the tiebreaker when we have that that cluster of salary is that even though Houston uh, has really struggled as a real defense, obviously um, we've seen them give up a lot of points, a lot of fantasy points. Um, they still do get off after the passer very well, top 10 in adjusted sack rate. And then obviously on DraftKings, the tiebreaker is just that cheap salary. Uh, Cincinnati still has one of the worst offensive lines in the league. And I don't, assuming Finley plays again, when I, which I think is is – um, going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cincinnati, they hid Finley last week. Pittsburgh didn't get up big like expected. Um, they just fed Geo the ball. They didn't ask Finley to throw a ton. I think he only had like 13 attempts. And other times he was running the ball. Uh, if Houston gets up like expected as a nine-point favorite, they're not going to be able to do that again. So I think he's really going to show um, his true colors. They were just... They were able to get up on the Steelers because of a couple turnovers and then just lean on them, which obviously no one has really been able to do. Even when, when the Bills beat them, it was because of Josh Allen. No team has just leaned on Pittsburgh like Cincinnati has. Um, as bad as the Texans are, if, if they get up big, Cincinnati's not going to be able to roll out that game plan. So if you're asking Finley to drop back more against a, a, a good pass rush, uh, it could spell trouble. Hmm. And then there, oh Yeah, don't expect Gio Bernard to... to 
win you any fantasy no. titles and this we've, week, people. And we've seen this Texans uh, defense have yeah. um, upside just a couple weeks ago. They were the they were the winning defense if you played them on um, on Thanksgiving. And again, it's it all came down to that pass rush, pass rush pick to the house. Um, that that pass rush against a team that's forced to throw, um, undeniable no matter how bad the defense is in real life. All right, let's go Chargers 3,700, Fanduel 3,300, DK, take it on Denver. Yeah, not as cheap as the Texans on DraftKings, obviously, but um, of the favorites, they are the cheapest on Fanduel, priced below $4,000. So um, a lot of times looking for my defense, just as simple as let me look at the favorites. Who's the cheapest favorite? All right, I like them a lot. Uh, Drew Locke for the Broncos has the highest interception rate among Week 16 quarterback starters. When we adjust for strength of schedule, Denver has allowed the third most adjusted points to opposing defenses. Um, Chargers are cheap on FanDuel and their favorites. So did you see Bad Santa too? I did not. Did you even know there was a Bad Santa too? I did. You know, you know how it was. I saw it, and I don't even remember seeing it. That good, huh? Yeah, because the first one was so <laughs> darn good. Hard to follow up a classic. Always. Oh, it really is. That was just so good. Well, I mean, Christmas Vacation was a was not a uh, an original. That's that was true. A, wasn't that the there's, third one? Yeah, in the there, there's a vacation series. I guess it's. Yeah. I guess it's not a. a true sequel since they're changing the storyline i don't know how we look at that but yeah i mean chris chris vacation is is great. it's a fine point you make because they really did change the storyline so much yeah, yeah but you know they kind of did that in empire strikes back all of a sudden one dude's another guy's father yeah uh, i think you're a little wishy-washy on this topic anyways we're going to talk about the saturday only slate <laughs> that's really all we care about to hear from tj anyways all right we want his expertise here. So we got the short slate recap. Let's do that very quickly. Yeah, we talked about it last week. Um, so you can listen to that again, or you can listen to the week 11 theory statement for a really um, in-depth uh, discussion on, on short slate theory. But if you are new to the podcast, welcome very late in the season. Uh, basically, I think people should be playing a lot more GPPs than cash just because on short slates, there's going to be a ton of lineup overlap. There just aren't that many options. A couple values are going to be very obvious and people are going to build around the studs. Um, rather than building around value, which people that typically play main slates do, uh, you should kind of be building around game flow. Do we think one game is going to be a blowout? One game is going to be close. How does that affect uh, the fantasy points for those teams? Really stacking games um, really heavily. Um, more than just straight up looking for values. Three games compared to two games last week. You can be a little bit more creative. I th think this is like just kind of the cutoff where I don't think you need to go crazy contrarian. Like I don't think you need a 1% play on a um, on a three-game slate. You don't need to go way off the board. Like the starters that are seeing significant snaps are the plays you want. I don't think you need a guy that's only playing 15% of snaps. Um, and then just considering non-traditional builds and understanding leverage like there's going to be quarterbacks that are owned in 40 50 percent of lineups on a three-game slate people that only play main slates are used to quarterbacks capping out at like 20 percent that goes the same for tight ends and defense and then um whereas you might not play two running backs in the same game you might not play defense versus your offensive players you might not leave salary on the table we're doing all of that on these short slates, sometimes leaving thousands of dollars of salary on the table. 
is a winning strategy. And again, there's so few games that you really have to be paying attention to um, late swap. Again, go back to that week 11 theory segment to really get an idea of how you should be thinking about all these things. We, we prepared for the Thanksgiving slate, talked about all of these topics in depth. So uh, check that out. I'm not going to cover all of those in detail right here. I think I'm going to play cash this week on a three game slate. I've never done that before. I, I think so. I, I think three games is like just big enough where it's okay. Um, I usually play hundreds of head to head games and on the main slate and then play some double ups, uh, triple ups, 10 X's. Um, always put it in a G your cash light up in a GPP. Mm-hmm. Um, on the main slate, that's kind of my mix. On these shorter slates, I think probably uh, head-to-heads. I, I'm real. I'm not going to play crazy high volume. I think I might do something like I don't know, cut my volume in half, and then just still play like 50/50s and double ups, um, and then throw those boosters and GPP um, for upside on on the game. But I, I think they're like I said. You don't need to be playing like these crazy 15% snap guys when there's three games. Those those extra two teams is exponentially more than what we had last week. Um, so I think playing some cash is probably fine. Yeah, this is – and I only say that just because I'm looking at the build here, and it's a very small pool at quarterback. Mm-hmm. There's tons of value at running back. There's like you can't even spend on a running back. Yeah. You can only pay up for DeAndre Hopkins and Darren Waller. There's like – there's so much value this week. I just feel like, to me, land on the guys you think that are going to – it's pretty simple. Land on the guys you think that are going to hit and put them in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think weeks like, – like the the way – It's that this, easy, TJ. It's yeah, really I mean, easy. this slate is really unique in that, like, we have three or four running backs that should get the majority of the work. Um, just a couple tight ends, two teams that are favored by a lot. So if you're playing 50-50s or double-ups, this is a spot where, like – you don't really have to search and dig and, and, and try to come up with super unique builds or, or really dig for um, split hairs on value. It's like play the volume, go by your like basic game, uh, cash game principles and just let other people make mistakes. Like That's play the high volume running backs, play the, the pass catchers um, that are going to see targets, play the, the, the quarterbacks with the high implied point totals. It's not going to work out perfectly. Um, again, a reason why I'm not playing a lot of head to heads here is because like, I, I, I don't know that it's going to be easy to, ha- it's never easy, but it's, I'm not going to build in a way that I think is going to give me a 95th percentile week in head to head. So I might as well just play 50 fifties, double ups and let a bunch of people make mistakes and hit the cash lines. I like it. I like it. Yeah. That's why I'm looking at cash. Just seems like there's a lot of yeah. easy paths to go in there now. And I, I do want to say this, this is, I, we might've covered this on our short slate um, segment, but I'm not sure. I, I do think it's always interesting. One thing I do like to do on these short slates, like I'm not a, a 150 max guy, so I'll probably I find like a three max or a five max that I really like, and that's where most of my money will go. Um, but I will take each of those lineups and put them in a smaller 50, 50 or double up just to hedge a little bit, obviously, because tournaments pay out like 20 to 25% of the field. So um, if you're not playing a lot of cash to where you have uh, you have a really low floor on your buy-ins, um, I think it is a nice way just to save save your ass a little bit if all of your lineups are in that like like uh, 50 to 60 percentile range, but not good enough to cash in tournaments. Huh. 
All right, let's um, let's get into this here. Yeah, let's talk about these players and the. Oh, I was getting ahead of myself. Let's talk about ownership. No, it's all Who's good. Be heavily owned? Everybody's heavily owned. <laughs> yeah, at quarterback. Uh, um. So we have we have two. We have the Buccaneers who are favored by mm-hmm. ten. Um, the Cardinals who are favored by five and a half, and those are going to be the two highest scoring teams. Tampa Bay is the only team with an implied point total over thirty, and then. Uh, Las Vegas and Miami, that's supposed to be a relatively low close game. The spread is just two and a half there. So I think ownership will fall heavily on Tom Brady and Kyler Murray um, with probably because Tampa Bay's secondary is uh, is bad and that that game has the highest total, even though Detroit is a big underdog. I think... Stafford will probably be in his own little tier as the third highest owned um, quarterback at running back. Like I mentioned, like we, we kind of have four guys that should get pretty much all of the ownership out of the, the six offenses. So Leonard Fournette sh- will probably be the highest owned running back on the slate. Him and Josh Jacobs will probably be pretty close. Um, Jeff Wilson and, and DeAndre Swift will probably be third and fourth and in some order um, pretty significantly behind Fournette and Jacobs, but quite a bit ahead of the rest of the field. And like, I don't think people are going to be worried about the, um, the Shanahan narrative um, like Tevin Coleman cutting into touches. And then Kenyon Drake has been getting his workload cut into by Chase Edmonds. So I, I think that'll keep both of their ownerships, like at least, 20% max, which is pretty low on a field like this. And then Gaskin just got activated off the COVID list. So I think with Salvin Ahmed playing pretty well, they'll kind of cannibalize each other's ownership a little bit. Adrian Peterson will kind of probably be around like that Salvin Ahmed um, ownership range. And then everyone else just kind of a dart throw. Uh, tight end, Darren Waller, TJ Hawkinson, they'll dominate ownership. Again, with Gronkowski probably in his own th- tiers, like the th- third highest owned tight end. And then wide receiver, um, Brandon Ayuk looks like the most obvious value. Um, priced up a little bit, but not as expensive as DeAndre Hopkins, who will also probably be the highest owned wide receiver. I would expect both of them. Again, kind of like I did last week, I just did a really quick run through to see like how I could make the own- ownership add up to kind of make sense. Mm-hmm. So I think... I think Ayuk and, and Hopkins could both be like 50% or higher with uh, with the value plays, Marvin Jones, Lynn Bowden being kind of in a, a second tier as the third and fourth most uh, owned receivers. Tampa Bay, Evans, Godwin, Brown kind of cutting into each other's ownership, all somewhere in that like 15 to 25% ownership range with um, Nelson Aguilar, Devontae Parker, Christian Kirk kind of in that third or fourth tier of ownership in that like 20% range. How are you handling the whole uh, Raiders offense right now? Well, I, I don't think things are that much different depending on who plays quarterback. Except um, that you could have more rushing yards with the new sure, quarterback. Right, exactly. Area. But, I mean, I, I don't think it it's going to necessarily shift ownership on their team um, or on any of the other players that they're playing against or obviously the rest of the slate. So I actually think... Uh, I mean, the salaries are, are a little bit different. I don't have them in front of me, so that'll shift your um, lineup construction a bit. But I, I think for the most part, um, things 
will probably shake out the same whether it is Mariota or Carr. Well, what about getting unique in the in the popular passing games then? Since yeah. you, that's not going to be a popular offense, right? Um, I mean, I I just think that probably Tampa Bay and Arizona absorb so much. At least the passing game ownership mm-hmm. they they absorb so much of it with them having uh, those higher implied point totals compared to the rest of the teams that it's just going to be hard for um, whether it's anyone else uh, to really be in like more than a quarter of lineup. So Brady. 35% Murray, 25% Stafford bring back in that Tampa Bay around 20% maybe. Hmm. Um, that leaves Bethard Carr, or Mariota and, and, uh, and Tua like somewhere in 15 or even lower, like Bethard probably ends up being the only sub 10% quarterback. I would say, um, again, I mean, these things, the, the, the range of outcomes on ownership can be a little bit wider than usual, but, um, to answer your question, Brady Murray being the most popular um, with Stafford being the third, I think probably my f- most, uh, my favorite contrarian play is, and the reason I said I'm probably not overly concerned with whether it's Carr or Mariota is because I think I like uh, Tua and the Dolphins um, as my favorite contrarian. Miami has a 25.5 point um, implied point total. The Raiders have allowed multiple passing touchdowns in five straight games. Uh, and I think the offense could just be um, playing a little bit well with, with Gaskin back, with Ahmed playing well. They have uh, two really good running backs. And then um, Devontae Parker and, and uh, Jakeem Grant are both, I, I think, have a lot of upside as wide receivers, especially against the secondary. And then uh, we don't have Gesicki news yet. Um, he's like very questionable, but that will obviously change the outlook of, of the Dolphins and the, the tight end um, ownership outlook a lot, whether he is healthy or not. Well, Kittle's going to rock it if he plays. Like yeah, I mean, is he become. on track? He practiced today, and we're sitting here on Wednesday to practice. Yeah, he'll he'll throw a big wrench in, in ownership um, if he plays, for sure. So where would we put him then? Because Waller's going to be extremely popular. Yeah, I'm not afraid to even I got to go dig back into the uh, Bethard Kittle numbers because one of the one of the backups loves Kittle and the other one doesn't use him quite as much. I mean, if Kittle's active, he should be number one. Ugh, I th- and I what does that Wall- do to Wall- you? Waller's been so dominant mm-hmm. that I think he's still number one. Um, but I would say that. Just looking at the numbers I have right now, I would probably put I would probably put him in a third of lineups, drop down Hawkinson to like twenty percent, and then drop Gronk way down to like sub fifteen percent. All right, so that's big. Yeah, huge. Yeah. It sounded it Shannon sounded I wouldn't say quite optimistic, but like the needle was pointing toward him playing as well. Yeah, I like. I would guess I would say a third of, of tournament lineups. Wow. Yeah. I have no issue throwing them in there off injury. No. Uh, so contra- contrarian stack, that would be one of them then. It wouldn't be contra- contrarian anymore though, right? No. Um, so, I mean, I think I think no matter what, the two stack is going to be contrarian. I think um, that if Kittle plays, it, it boosts the outlook of stacking um the 49ers. I think as it stands right now, people are probably going to use Ayuk as a one-off. Um, mm-hmm. And then 
Wilson just as a volume play, I don't think people are going to stack that game, that offense heavily. Um, if if Kittle does, all of a sudden uh, we see Bethard's ownership go up a little bit, still going to be sub-15%, I think. Um, but the ownership of that offense, I think people will look at Kittle, look at Ayuk, look at Wilson and be, hey, say, hey, I'm already three-quarters of the way there. Might as well throw out some more Bethard. Okay. All right. Let's uh, look at the running back position mm-hmm. now. How do you handle a really light slate? Like the biggest name is Josh Jacobs, but you've also got some guys that have some blow up potential, but everybody is just jammed in the same price range. Yeah, I, I do think that um, the dominant strategy, especially on FanDuel, is going to be a three running back build just because we have Fournette and Jacobs as like clear running back ones. Um, that aren't crazy expensive. And then you can decide on who you like more, Wilson or, or Swift. Um, there, We saw Swift kind of get back to that uh, heavy workload that we saw him have before he got injured last week. So I don't think people are too worried about um, that at this point. And um, it was just Wilson or, or Mostert, depending on, on who was healthy. And now with Mostert out, um, I think a lot of people will gravitate towards that three running back build. So I think that's going to be my, my primary build, especially in cash games. Lock Fournette, lock Jacobs, pick who you like more between Wilson and Swift. Um, but then in tournaments, I definitely think you could start, uh, start getting creative. Uh, probably my favorite way to do that is by playing Chase Edmonds in my Kyler Murray stacks. We actually saw Edmonds out-touch Kenyon Drake last week, and he definitely correlates more with the passing game than Kenyon Drake. So if you're trying to get unique in your Arizona stacks, again, I mentioned um, I think Murray will be very popular. DeAndre Hopkins will probably be the highest-owned wide receiver on the slate if it's not Ayuk. Um, and then I think people will naturally have um, some Christian Kirk just because they're already playing Kyler Murray. So... I think the way to get unique on that offense is to play Edmonds with Murray. Uh, the other way I really like getting unique because I do like the Miami offense against the Raiders uh, is planting my flag on Miles Gaskin coming back and retaining his workload. I know I said um, they have a two-headed monster with Ahmed playing well, but in the range of outcomes of how the touches play out, we could also see Gaskin just go back to his um, his heavy workload. So I like building lineups around the fact that uh, Miami does play very well against the Raiders, playing for a playoff spot, and Gaskin has had some very dominant weeks. So uh, Gaskin, especially if I'm using him as my running back two in a build where I don't have a running back in the flex, I think that's going to be a very good way to get unique with running back where um, if people are just playing two running backs, a lot of them will just gravitate towards Fournette and Jacobs, not wanting to uh, miss out on either of those guys. So playing just one with Miles Gaskin, I think is a really great build in two running back tournament builds. Where can you get super contrarian builds from? What, what parts? Um, so as I mentioned, I, I think, a lot of the, especially on, on FanDuel, on, on DraftKings, it's always kind of more split. I think the predominant build is going to be uh, three running backs. Mm-hmm. So I think having wide receiver in your flex on FanDuel is going to be contrarian. On both sides, especially if Kittle plays, um, I really like a tight end in the flex. The reason being because we have Kittle and Waller who are essentially wide receiver ones. So 
playing them in the flex should give you a unique lineup and then you could play just a straight up dart throw um, as your second tight end or you can play one of them um, with Hawkinson who will be or Gronk who will be the third or fourth most owned tight end and still just have a unique lineup with them because you have a tight end in the flex. Now it's not going to be as unique as it might be on, on a main slate, but it'll still be unique enough where uh, even if you are playing chalky players around them, and, and I think that's the best way to do it, if in your chalkier lineups, try to get unique, um, whether it be saving a ton of salary uh, or playing a tight end in the flex, I think that stands out as the most um, contrarian build. And then again, any build that doesn't have four net or Jacobs is going to be really, really contrarian. Um, that's That wouldn't be my dominant strategy, but lineups without either of those two, if they don't go off, you're automatically going to be very unique on the field. Hmm. And then I guess the last one, well, there's a couple more to get to. The dart throws. Who? I'm going to give you a dart throw. You want a mm-hmm. dart throw? Yeah. So you probably like three. You're so convinced. It's like, yeah, whatever. No, I, 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 I want to. So this, this guy feeling, hit for me three weeks ago. I have ago. a feeling you're going to say someone that I was going to say. That's okay. Why. About three weeks ago, this guy hit. Uh, Quintez Cephas. Ooh, that is not who I thought you were going to say. Yeah, no, like no, no. And, and listen, it's a, this is the ultimate dart throw. But but uh, he, got a, he got a red zone target last week, and I hadn't seen him do that. And I actually watched it. It wasn't one of those crappy ones. He busted a really um, a really nice catch against Chicago too. I think if Tampa Bay is just murdering Detroit like we think they can, it's not just going to be Marvin Jones and Mohamed Sanu. Um, I think Cephas is a guy that could hit, so I will have him probably. And if I make it, I think I make it four lineups. Um, he will be in one of them. Uh, Cephas has played 45% of the snaps in three straight games. Mm-hmm. Uh, targets of 4-2 and 3. I mean, he did open up the year with a 10-target game. Yeah. So we've seen volume upside. Um, obviously, it was an aberration because he hasn't had more yes. than four targets since then. But if he's on the field for half of the snaps in a shootout, I mean, I can't really hate it because one of my i wasn't even going to mention him in here i actually forgot um, that i wrote him up i was just scrolling i mean it's kind of the same vein as the, on the other side scott miller who is super cheap and he's just a dart throw but the buccaneers target share is so diluted that even though scott miller scotty miller is like fifth or sixth on the team in targets last week he was fifth in targets with four targets or three targets i believe but three guys only had seven. No one had more than seven. So if he goes from three to five, just on accident, because he's open a couple times, he might be second on the team of targets. And if he hits on one of them, he's the highest scoring pass catcher on the highest scoring team. Um, that isn't that hard of a story to tell. You are actually not that far off from what I was thinking about, because a lot of people are going to be on that game, are going to be on Marvin Jones, are going to be on, uh, TJ Hawkinson. Muhammad I was actually I was actually looking at Danny Amendola. Just because Oh snap. Uh Sean Murphy Bunting has been one of the worst cornerbacks in the league, the, the Tampa Bay mm-hmm. uh slot cornerback. And that's where Amendola gets most of his work. Now, I mean, obviously he really hasn't had any games that pop, but again on a short slate, if he goes for eighty five and one, you're there. You're right there. That's all you need. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I mean, that's what you're looking for with these dart throws anyways, which is kind of like why I prefer them on DraftKings, well, wide receivers on DraftKings. Just... I will throw this out there. Yeah. Um, very, very quietly with Kasiki out last week. Now, it was only five targets, but Durham Smythe saw 22% of the Dolphins' targets last Oof. week with Kasiki out. So just throwing that out there. Devontae Parker is practicing, but he's not 100%. Jakeem Grant has not been you know, feeling that great either. Yeah. I like it. I like those. Um, defense. Which contrarian defense do we go with? The worst one. Good. Lions. The Lions. Okay. Um, I mean, on these short slates, uh, th- there's the only team out of the six teams on this slate that throw that throws um, at a top 10 rate neutral game script is the Buccaneers. Um, now, Tom Brady doesn't t- turn the ball over almost ever, but if you're going to be dropping back a lot, at least if the game is even a little bit close, then the defense is going to theoretically have more opportunities for sacks and turnovers. Even if they don't hit, just the idea on these short slates of paying all the way down, $3,000 on FanDuel, $2,000 on DraftKings. The Raiders are cheap too, but I think the Raiders are going to be kind of popular because they're not huge underdogs, but they're cheap. Whereas the Lions are going to not be owned at the men's uh, completely minimum salary. So as long as, even if a defense does go off, the upside of getting up to another stud just by paying all the way down defense, I think is worth it. If they only get you, we saw it last week in a full slate millionaire. The Jets, they were bare minimum. They only scored eight fantasy points, didn't do anything crazy, but they were dirt cheap and they let you build all the way up to $1 million. It could definitely happen on a short slate. If a defense doesn't go off, pay all the way down, get a stud. Detroit's the contrarian defensive play this week. Hi, buddy. Good stuff. That was fun. Everybody have a great Merry Christmas. I just threw great in there. Have a Merry Christmas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Enjoy it. Be safe. Uh, we are pushing everything back one day next week. So everybody knows um, this is the last full slate of games or at least slate with multiple uh, days. Everything is on Sunday in week 17. So content and podcast will be coming out Friday instead of Thursday. No point in putting it out early. Let's get as much accurate info out as possible. Um, if you haven't signed up yet, DFS sub is $24. We still got this slate. You can get access to everything before Sunday, week 17. And then we got three weeks of playoff plus showdown for Super Bowl. So still six slates of, of action uh, that you could get on get in on for only $24 lots of money to be made still uh, check us out on Twitter holding at holding radio uh, four for four is at four for four football I'm at TJ Hernandez we'll talk to you guys so when I'm not put on this list, this is not offending that's why you see me walk around like nothing's bothering me even though half you people got a problem with me you hate it but you more respect you got to give me the presence wet dream like Bob and your Whitney Till the roof comes off, till the lights go out, till my leg give out, can't shut 